grab a Bible near you. We are in week nine of a 68-week series through the book of Acts. Week nine. So we are just at the tip of the iceberg, and we are at Acts chapter four this morning. Just a little recap of where we have been in this journey. We have seen um, Luke, we've heard Luke tell Theophilus, listen, I, I, I need to testify, I need to witness to you about the things that have been going on. Theophilus desires to hear, more than likely a Greek, desires to hear about this Jesus Christ. And so Luke is saying, listen, you, you have my first the first book, the book of Luke, of sharing the gospel, of Christ's life, his death, and his resurrection. But now I, I want to tell you, continue on about what Jesus is doing. Just because Jesus has ascended, which we also see in chapter 1, doesn't mean that Jesus' work is done, but it, it is continuing. So Theophilus, I want to tell you about the continuing work of Jesus Christ. We have seen the replacement of Judas. We have seen how that was done. We have seen the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on, on Pentecost and the, the richness, the, the beauty, the power that is found in the Holy Spirit. As a reminder for Missio Dei folks, we spent 16 weeks unpacking who is the person the person, not the force, not the power, who is the person of the Holy Spirit. It's something that you can go back, check out our podcast. This is an important thing for us to understand. Who is the person of the Holy Spirit? Because we see throughout this whole book the integral work of the Holy Spirit. We hear Peter's sermon on Pentecost Sunday. We see the effects of the Gospel preached and lives transformed. We also are coming to the point where we, see, we have seen what happens, the impact of, gospel, of the gospel on the lives of, of regenerate people, the fellowship of believers. We have also seen the power of healing people, of the lame man, a picture of our own spiritual lameness. And the power of Jesus Christ to heal us. This morning we are picking it up in chapter 4, page 911, if you have a pew Bible. Follow along with me. Chapter 4, 1 through 22. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming a Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day. For it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the middle, they inquired, by what power or 
by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by, this, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which had become the cornerstone. And there is no There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a noticeable sign had been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must be the judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. This is the word of the Lord. So we are sitting here this morning wondering what does a confident witness look like? We, we look at these, these men, Peter and, and John, who had, had not gone through their formal theological education, which by many believe that it is absolutely critical for the ministry. These men stood boldly and gave a confident witness about the power of the gospel and where salvation comes. There are many differences between genuine salesmanship and evangelism. These men were not selling any goods, but they were sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And probably the most notable difference between salesmanship and evangelism is that evangelism depends on the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel depends on the power of the Holy Spirit and the Gospel. God had just used Peter and John to heal a beggar in his 40s who had been lame from birth. The spectacle of this this man 
now leaping and praising God in the temple courts, drew such a great crowd. And Peter proclaimed the gospel to them, shared with them, this is the Jesus, the one that you had crucified. This is him. Perhaps after the message, John joined Peter in responding to the crowd. Since Acts number one, 4 verse 1 says, And as they were speaking, we don't know, but suddenly the religious institution of the day felt threatened. And we see here in 4 verse 1 that as they were speaking to the people, as they were sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, as that was happening, the priests and the captain of the guard and the Sadducees all came upon them immediately. And they were resurrected because they were proclaiming that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Although they were on trial before this intimidating council, Peter quickly turned the tables on the Sanhedrin, showing that it was they who were on trial. It was they who were on trial. He points out that it was not a crime to do a good deed to a cripple. Then he indicts, indicts the Sanhedrin because they had crucified Jesus Christ, whom God raised from the dead, and in whose name this blame man is now able to walk. Peter let them know that there is salvation in no other place, in no other name, other than Jesus Christ. No other name other than Jesus Christ. And the members of this council were amazed at the confidence of Peter and John who had not been educated in their rabbinical schools. They were commanded, in spite of that, not to speak of Jesus. And Peter and John said, we have no choice but to testify. We cannot stop speaking of this good news. The question this morning is, is it true for us? Can we not help but speak of this good news knowing that there is no other name other than Jesus by which we can be saved. I think of Brother John's story of being saved and how he is, was taken up from his place in life. There is no other name except by Jesus Christ that we can be saved. Is it true for you? Is it true for you that you cannot help but speak confidently, witness to others about the power and the truthfulness of the Gospel? While Peter and John were commanded to stop speaking, most of us need to be reminded of the command to speak. Many modern Christians think that Jesus' great commission was really the great suggestion. Or we think that it may apply to only those who are in missionary work or pastoral ministry or the elders or the deacons. It's their responsibility. Jesus was particularly speaking to those. 
the paid professionals, those who are sent out into the ends of the earth. But every believer should be able to say with Peter and John, even under the threat of persecution, I cannot stop speaking about what I have seen and what I have heard. I cannot help but share. If we are prone to a timid witness for Christ, we should pray that God would give us a confident boldness. A confident boldness that we need to speak out for Christ even if we are to suffer. This morning, our, our theme is going to be this. Our theme is we should, be, should seek to be confident witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. Confident witnesses. And I believe that we could see here this morning four characteristics, four characteristics of what a confident witness is. And the first one is, a confident witness is filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. To picture this scene correctly, we need to understand how threatening it was for Peter and John to be sharing the Gospel. Previously, for three years, Peter and James and John and all the disciples walked about with Jesus and there was mild persecution that was taking place. But it came to a head. And ultimately, on one day, Jesus was taken up, crucified on the cross. Crucified. This, this Jesus, the Messiah that they believed was the true promised one, was now crucified. This was no light thing for them to be sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. It is like standing before the, the Supreme Court and the, the Congress and General Synod all wrapped up into one thing. By what power, by what name do you do these things? We need to remember that even Peter in his perfect opportunity to avoid arrest, shirked his responsibility. Unsure. So for me as a pastor, there, there's hope. There's hope for even people who, who screw it up daily. Because I do. And I'm sure you do as well, if you're willing to admit it. We shirked that responsibility. Peter, at a critical moment, could have said, no, I know that man. I know, I walked with him. I saw what he did. I heard his teaching. I know he is the promised one. And there's hope. There's hope. What made a difference for Peter on this day? I believe the difference was that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Powerfully filled with the Holy Spirit. Some by nature may be more daring than others to share but we're not talking about a natural inclination. We are talking about supernatural power to share. If we want to be like Peter and John, who are like Jesus, we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus told His disciples that they would be brought before the rulers. They would be brought before those, these people. But not to worry. Because the Holy Spirit would teach them in that very hour what to say. 
Many of us fear. I don't know what to say, so I'm not going to say anything. The beautiful thing is, with the gift of the Holy Spirit, in the moment, if we are listening, the Spirit of God, He will teach us. He will give us the words of what to say. Peter's witness before the Sanhedrin was not due to his natural boldness or to his brilliant oratory. It was due to the filling of the Holy Spirit. What does this mean? A Spirit-filled witness is, is controlled by God's Spirit. A Spirit-filled witness, Peter and John, were controlled by God's Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, the the disciples were, were filled with the Holy Spirit. And here again, we, we see that Je Peter and John were filled with the Holy Spirit. And after they were released, they joined their companions. We're going to see that next week. They joined their companions and had a prayer meeting. And at the end, of which they were filled again with the Holy Spirit. While the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens at one point, at one time, a moment of salvation, the filling the filling of the Holy Spirit is repeated often. Someone had once said that we need repeated fillings because why? We leak. We leak. Assuming that you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the main requirement for being filled by the Holy Spirit is to be cleansed from all sin. And be yielded to the Holy Spirit. A Spirit-filled person is not a self-willed, but rather is submissive to God's will. Also, being filled with the Spirit implies a moment-by-moment -moment dependence on the Holy Spirit. Pictured in the, in the metaphor that we will walk by the Spirit that we see in Galatians 5. Since the, since the Holy Spirit is the main main ministry is to glorify Jesus Christ. A person who is filled with the Holy Spirit will seek to glorify Christ. Also, a Spirit-filled witness, Spirit-filled witnesses obey God rather than men, even under the threat of persecution or death. This is huge. Most of us do not have a clue. We don't understand firsthand, secondhand, thirdhand what it means to be persecuted for the sake of Jesus Christ. The threat of someone rejecting us or thinking that we're weird is enough to make us cowards. We don't know what the council said by way of its threats. But verse 21 here indicates that they were not vague about the fact that if Peter and John continued to witness there would be severe implications. But rather than saying, yes, sir, we'll be more restrained in the future, we'll hold back. Maybe that's not critical. Maybe that's not important. Instead of saying that, they said, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must be the judge. And then they went back to their friends and prayed for greater boldness. Greater boldness. As if that wasn't enough. Stand before Congress, Supreme Court, and the highest 
court in the church. They left and said, you do, psh, that, that's for you and God to figure out. But for me, I want greater boldness. Great, Lord, give me more. I, I want to be a greater boldness. I want to share more. I want to convince more people about the good news of Jesus Christ. It is critical that we understand that at one day we stand before God and God alone as our judge to give an account. Not men. There will not be a court of men or women or angels or anybody else up there giving, saying, okay, Paul, on June 24, you said this, you did this, you did this. They will not be the ones judging me. It is ultimately God to whom we must give an account. Next. A confident witnesses, number two. Confident witnesses have spent much time with Jesus and have learned from Him. The council was absolutely amazed at Peter and John's boldness, especially since they were uneducated, untrained men. The Greek word? Idiotes. From which we derive the word, welcome to the ministry. Idiots for Jesus. They were untrained, unschooled. They had not gone through the formal routes, the formal ways of doing it. But they had spent time. The best indicator that they could tell that they were godly men was that they spent time with Jesus. Jesus Christ. The boldness in Peter and John reminded the, the council of the boldness of Jesus Himself who was not even trained in their schools. And what a wonderful compliment. What a wonderful compliment for people to recognize that we are like Jesus, Jesus because we have been with Jesus. There is something about your witness, your words, your life that so reflects Jesus Christ. There is something about you. Oh, I, you are like Jesus. Why? Because you've spent time and you've learned from Jesus. We often say that we would like to be like Jesus, but we have misconceptions about what Jesus was really like. I've heard people say that Paul was often way too conf confrontational and honestly, Paul was probably misguided. He overspoke often. Kind of a hothead. But Jesus, He was just loving. Because we got this flannel graph picture of Him, don't we? This white flowing robe with a really nice blue sash and for some reason blonde wavy hair. Of this Jesus that just kind of floated about and just kind and hugging and but the reality is that I'm not sure what re translation people have been reading. Like in Matthew 23, Jesus confronted the scribes and Pharisees, calling them 
hypocrites, whitewashed walls, and a brood of vipers. That's Jesus. And in Luke chapter 11, Jesus was invited to lunch at a Pharisee's house. He was a guest at someone's home. And he deliberately avoided the Pharisaical ceremonial washing before the meal. And when his host said something, Jesus pronounced the woes upon the Pharisees for their hypocrisy. Another guest, a a religious lawyer, pointed out that Jesus insulted them. So what did Jesus do? Jesus pronounced woes upon the lawyers for their hypocrisy. He was not the most polite dinner guest. On many other occasions, Jesus deliberately did something to provoke controversy. He was honest. He was true. The point is, if if we are going to be like Jesus, we are... We will be bold witnesses who confront religious hypocrisy and false doctrine. But here's the kicker. And this is something that I constantly have to remind myself and remind my brothers and sisters in Christ who might share some of my same convictions. We are not to be mean and we are not to be rude. (laughs) The religious right, honestly, there are days that I am deeply concerned. And I just shake my head. Because why? They're jerks. We are jerks. We come out with battle axes. But the reality is, if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we will have the fruit of the Spirit, which includes kindness and gentleness. But we will have, have spent enough time with Jesus to learn with Him the importance of speaking out when God's truth is being compromised. We will fear God more than we fear the social customs or what others think about us. It is critical for our witness that we understand that man, God has so blessed us with good news. And the more that I spend time with Jesus, the more I am convicted about the importance and the weight and the gravity of this, the good news of Jesus Christ. But I also remember that people are on different places in their journey with Jesus Christ. And because of that, I must be kind and gentle and gracious, yet firm and unwavering. The third characteristic of a confident witness is this. They testify on what they know for certain. They testify what they know for certain. The disciples could not stop speaking about what they had seen and what they had heard. They had seen the risen Lord. They had seen Him. They saw Him ascend into heaven. They had heard him explain the scriptures and many other passages about himself. They had seen him heal this blind man by his power. And they spoke confidently about these matters. Our text says four things that we should know absolutely for certain. The first thing is we know for certain that Jesus is risen from the dead. 
Not in this just kind of mental kind of, oh, it's a good idea, and it's kind of a myth kind of thing. No, for certain we know for sure that Jesus bodily was raised from the dead. He was dead. And on the third day, what happened? He rose again. We know for certain that Jesus Christ, because of the testimony of these credible witnesses, we know for certain that He bodily rose from the grave. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the foundation of our Christian faith. It is the absolute foundation of our Christian faith. When we bear witness about Jesus, we can confidently proclaim that the fact that of His bodily resurrection from the dead. We, number two, the second thing we can boldly testify about, we know for certain that Jesus fulfilled many of the Old Testament prophecies. Peter here mentions one, that Jesus was the co- chief cornerstone or capstone that, that the builders had rejected. That's from Psalm 118. And in all, there are some 300 Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Psalm 22, Isaiah 53 are especially clear and detailed describing Jesus' death on a cross. He fulfilled the Old Testament. The third thing that we can be absolutely sure, sure of and testify about is that we know for certain that Jesus performed many attested miracles through the apostles. Hebrews 2 says concerning our salvation, first, it was at the first spoken through the Lord. It was confirmed to us through, by those who have heard that God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders, and by various miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to His own will. The Sanhedrin could not refute the fact that this man, who had been crippled for some 40 years, was now standing in their presence. Irrationally, they acknowledged the miracle, but rejected the implications of it. Rejected the implications of it. Stupendous miracles. Stupendous miracles are not enough to convince those whose hearts are hardened by God. But we can still testify to the credibility of the eyewitness's testimony. If people refuse to believe the testimony, it is because they want to continue in their sin, not because of the the evidence is lacking. And fourthly, We know for certain that Jesus has saved us through faith in His name. And that He will save anyone who will call upon Him. Jesus has saved those through faith in His name. Peter and John knew that Jesus had changed their own lives. The formerly crippled man knew that the name of Jesus Christ had changed him. Physically and spiritually. Anyone who is calling upon the Lord to save him from his sins knows that he is mighty to save even the chief of sinners. 
so we can confidently offer the good news of God's salvation to any and every sinner. Knowing that, as Jesus said, the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. Often the most powerful witnesses come, like this line, lame man, whose lives have been dramatically changed by the power of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ. My last, last point of the day. Confidence witnesses insist, demand, insist and demand on Jesus as the only way. The only way of salvation. The only way. By what power and by what name did you, you do this? Peter was absolutely clear. We did it by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By Him, this man is standing before you well. Leaping and praising God. Furthermore, His name is the only name by which anyone can be saved. There is salvation found in no other name. We live in an age where tolerance has become a primary virtue. People don't object if you say, well, I have found Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. They'll say, hey, that's nice, but I'm into something else. Or they say, all that matters is if you're a good person and believe something, all roads lead to God. Charles Spurgeon had something to say about Peter's directness. He said, nothing can exceed the directness, the comprehensiveness, and the boldness of this statement. He not only declares the name of Jesus Christ to be the wonder-working name, but he charges them with his murder, reasserts the resurrection no further he cuts at the root of all their ceremonial righteousness and declares that they must be saved by this hated, despised name or else perish forever. Under all circumstances, let the servant of God behave himself boldly. Let him remember that this is the hour he ought to always speak and that when the honor of his master and the welfare of souls are concerned, it is not for him to withhold but to speak out the truth of God. Jesus Christ cuts across the tolerance of our culture and intolerantly proclaims, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. No man, woman, or child can come to me, come to the Father, except through me. No man, no woman, no child can get to the Father except through me. He was absolutely clear. There is salvation in no one else. But what about sincere Buddhists or Muslims or Hindus who are kind and loving people? What about a pastor or churches who preach that salvation can be found through other means and other ways, through works or a good moralistic life? 
The truth is that Jesus Christ is the only way. Salvation is found in no other name other than Jesus Christ. Him and Him alone. We are saved by faith. By the grace of God. Not by your good works. Not by a rightly lived life. Sure, we can coexist. We can walk about this earth together. But ultimately, on that end day, the only way is through Jesus Christ. Him and Him alone. Like the lame man, there's no hope for you to heal yourself. Only Jesus Christ can heal your soul. And He will save you if you cast yourself upon Him. Ephesians 6, Paul shares a startling prayer request. And also for me, that my words may be given to me, be given to me, opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the, the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I will declare it boldly as I ought to speak. My prayer for us as a church, my prayer for us as a denomination, my prayer for the church of Jesus Christ across this world is that we will speak boldly, passionately, compassionately about the good news of Jesus Christ with confidence. As we come to the Lord's Supper in a moment, this is a meal that is hosted by Jesus Christ Himself, His body and His blood. And we come together as brothers and sisters in Christ. United around the name of Jesus Christ. The truth of the Gospel as found in the Word of God. And we come with great joy, but we also come knowing full well that we are sinners still today in need of the grace found in Jesus Christ. It's our privilege to celebrate the sacrament this morning. We're, but we are called, in light of the Gospel that has been preached, to prepare our hearts by rightly examining ourselves. In 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul reminds us, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of our Lord. Let each person examine himself then, and so eat of the cup, eat of the bread and drink of the cup. We are called in light of the gospel to daily, and especially today, examine our hearts. Examine our minds. First of all, we are, we are called to examine our lives and consider our own sin and the wrath of God on it, and be sure that we are humble ourselves in repentance before God. 
We also need to examine our hearts to be sure that we trust in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. And that we believe our sins are forgiven wholly by His grace for the sake of our Lord's sacrifice on the cross. And we need to examine our consciences. And this is especially important, I believe. We need to examine our consciences to be sure that we resolve to live in faith and obedience before our Lord and in love and peace with our neighbors. The beauty is that God will receive us at the table of us at His Son. We will receive all those who are repentant of their sin, who believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, and desire to do His good and perfect will. All those, however, who do not repent, who do not put their trust in Jesus Christ and have no desire to lead a godly life are warned, are warned according to the command of God to keep themselves away from this holy sacrament. If we are living in disobedience to Christ and in enmity with our neighbors, we must repent of our sin and reconcile ourselves to our neighbors before we come to the Lord's table. That's one of the things that I love about our church is if there is anything that is between us, that needs to be resolved, we do that before we come to the Lord's Supper. We do that on a weekly basis. That if I have anything with my brother or sister in Christ, we resolve it before coming to the table. This warning, however, is not designed to keep penitent sinners away from the table. We do not come to the table knowing that we're righteous in ourselves, but rather to testify that we are sinners and we look to Christ for our salvation. Brothers and sisters, hear the words of the Apostle Paul concerning the institution of the Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ from 1 Corinthians 23. 11, 23 through 29. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that He was betrayed took bread, and after He had given thanks, He broke it saying, This is My body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way, He also took the cup after supper saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Who, whoever therefore eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For whoever eats of this eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. As we partake of this communion supper, we bear witness that the Lord Jesus was sent by the Father into the world. That He took upon Himself our flesh and blood and He bore the wrath of God on the cross for us. We also confess that He came to earth to bring us to heaven. We also confess that He was condemned to die that we might be pardoned. We also confess that He endured 
the suffering and death on the cross that we might live fully to him. And we, are all, we also confess that he was once forsaken by God that we may be forever accepted by him. Brothers and sisters, this is good news. 